Well, good morning again. Man, such a great morning. Uh, so much going on in our church family. Great things, great things like New Hope Shelter. Uh, Brian came up to me this morning. He's excited about the move on Saturday, and turns out uh, there might be there might be over a hundred people there helping move, and uh, maybe some of you are a part of that. But I'm, it is such a blessing that we as a church get to be a part of these missions, these ministries that are practically serving uh, our, our neighbors. What, what, a, what a joy that is. Um, today we're continuing our series looking at what God says about rest, our habit of grace this year, the habit of rest. Where did rest come from? And I, there's, there's a number of new people here that were not here last week. Uh, last week we looked at uh, this concept of rest that began... Uh, on the very first page or the second page of the Bible, uh, in Genesis chapter 2. This idea, uh, you, you might have heard this called Sabbath, but in the very beginning when God set the world into motion, He created this pattern and then He gave a command based on the pattern. He created everything in six days and on the seventh day, He rested. He rested, that word for rest, He stopped. He ceased from His work and and we saw how the Hebrew word refreshed, he refreshed, uh, he was refreshed, uh, not meaning that he was tired or it was exhausting, but uh, that word, that Hebrew word means to breathe, and he, he took it all in. On the seventh day, he goes, <gasps> and he took it all in, and he enjoyed uh, his work. That's in Genesis chapter 2. Right after that, we get the command of work. God gave us work. God invited us to work the, the ground, to have dominion over the earth, to cultivate the ground. And work is wonderful. Work is good. There's a few truths about work that are important to remember. God invited us to work before the fall. So work is not a response to lack or sin or fallenness, brokenness. That's not, work was established before the fall. And work is God's invitation saying, hey, I made all this. You want to join me? Join me in making this right and taking care of this. I want you to be with me. God is very relational. He wants us to be with him. So he created this work. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day, I want you to stop working. No more working. I want you to stop for me. It's not a day off. It's a day offered. It's not called the lazy day. It's called the Lord's day. And so we saw how God established this rest day, and it was very important to him, more important than a lot of people think. By the time, after Genesis 2, by the time you get to Exodus chapter 16, and this is important, before the law was given, when God was giving the people the manna, he said, six days collect it, but not on the seventh day. Why? Because I created the world, I actually says the earth, the heavens and the earth. I created everything in six days, and on the seventh day I rested. So on the seventh day, I don't want you guys going out there and getting it. Get double portions on, si on the sixth day. Bake and boil what you want and have it ready for the seventh day. I want you to stay in your place. I want you to rest on the seventh day. That is before he gave the Ten Commandments. That's significant. Then we read in Exodus 20, just to drive it home, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It is the fourth commandment in the Bible. You guys know the Ten Commandments? They're the big ten, right? These are, the, these are the, the laws that God wrote 
with his finger on stone tablets, gave it to Moses to give to the people. Yes, he did have to remake it, and that's the whole story, but he gave it to them. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So significant. And as we looked at of the, you know, Maimonides made up these 613 laws in the medieval times, out of all those, only a couple of dozen of the laws in the Old Testament are punishable by death. And it shocks everybody that working on the seventh day is punishable by death. That's just in Exodus. You're only in Exodus chapter 31 at this point. In God's history, God is making this big deal about this, do not work on the seventh day, I want you to rest, and we see how it's a day that belongs to Him. He made it for us so that we would have relationship with Him. It was about relationship and reflection. We saw that last week, how it was a testimony, it was a sign for the, gen- for the nations around them. When you guys stop and you trust me, the nations are going to look at you doing something odd and weird and say, why are you doing that? And you're going to say, it's for our God. It's meant to be a sign and a testimony. So we saw in the Old Testament how this established law that was so significant to God, it meant so much to him, and we read all those verses, because it was his way of connecting us with him. It's important to him. Uh, I love the illustration... uh, you know, you have, a, you have a, a married couple, and, and one married couple, it doesn't matter, guy or girl, whichever one, one married couple is on their phone, and the other spouse is sitting there going, would you put your phone down? I just want to spend time with you. I just want you to be with me. Well, I'm sitting right next to you. Yeah, that doesn't count. I want you to be focused on me. And we saw how God, in a relational way, wants us to focus on Him. And so He gave us a gift in the Sabbath. And then I left you with a cliffhanger. But what does that mean for us today? Are we supposed to follow the Sabbath? I mean, it's a huge deal in the Old Testament. Are we supposed to, is this still law that we're under? Are we supposed to do this? Is this continued? What are we supposed to do with this? And uh, man, I can't wait to half answer that today and and finish answering it next week. It's going to be great. You guys are going to come back. It's going to be great. Today, to set a foundation of the New Testament, who do we have to look to? Who are we? Jesus. We have to look at Jesus and say, how did Jesus observe the Sabbath? What did he do with the Sabbath? How did he view it? What did he tell his disciples to do? What example did he give about this Sabbath law? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's in Luke chapter 6. The gospel writer Luke mentions Sabbath multiple times. It's not as in-depth as Matthew. I read Matthew this morning uh, at the beginning of the service. Um, But in Matthew chapter 6, I want to give you a glimpse of how did Jesus Use the Sabbath, deal with the Sabbath, respond to the Sabbath. Chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, he, he being Jesus, passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Uh, The Pharisees are interesting characters. They're, They're people like us for the most part. They're the teachers of the law. They're the keepers of the law. They're, they're the ones that make sure everybody's doing it right. And they were, they were established. They were an established group of men who were called to be Pharisees to help the people. They're doing a service to the Jews. They're going to make sure, what does the law say? Are you keeping the law? Are we following God's law? Because if you read the Old Testament, which have no Pharisees in them, if you read the Old Testament, we, we haven't had a great track record. Let's get this right, right? Let's, let's make sure we're following the laws. So the Pharisees were established. 
Well, these same guys, these religious leaders, these elders of their day, you could think, they saw Jesus and his disciples on Sabbath. Uh, traditionally, it's the Saturday. It's Saturday on the, cal- the week on the calendar. On the Sabbath, this special day, you're not supposed to be working. They see Jesus and his disciples walking through a field, and all of a sudden they're picking the grains of head, or the grains of um, uh, the heads of grain. They're they're mixing it between their hands. They're blowing off the chaff and they're eating it. And the Pharisees go, oh, "Full stop! Why are you breaking the law? Why are you working on the Sabbath?" Now, why do they accuse Jesus and the disciples of breaking the law? I've read the Old Testament. A lot of you have too. Do you know not one place in the New Testament does it say that you're not allowed to take heads of grain on the Sabbath and eat them? It never says that. Why did they think this? Uh, first, it's not because they thought they were stealing. You can go in your neighbor's field. I want to show you this because I've had uh, mainly youth. I've had people ask me this question, which I think is a great question. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, this part of the law When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck heads of grain with your hand, but do not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. In other words, if you're traveling, which back then they didn't have cars and highways like we do today, uh, they would travel, and if you had, there was a grain field, there was a field of wheat, and you were hungry, you haven't eaten, you needed sustenance to survive, a lot of places are deserty, you know, you need food. You could take some of the heads of grain and you could eat them. That's okay. That's permissible. It's not considered stealing. It's actually part of God's provision. He wants his people to be generous and hospitable this way. So it wasn't that they were stealing, but the religious leaders were so upset because to them, Jesus and the disciples were still breaking the law. How were they breaking the law? The Jews had a system of teaching that the rabbis would use called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a Hebrew word that means repetition. What they would do is there were oral teachings, right? Their favorite teachers. Like you could think of like if you ever go on YouTube and listen to your favorite pastor, whoever he is, Matt Chandler, uh, Skip Heitzig, uh, Jack Hibbs. um, That's the only Jack. But anyway, whoever you listen to, you look and you think, oh, they're the best teacher. You write down, they write books, you buy them. They're like great. It's like, look at this great stuff. The Jews had that too, in a way, of course not digital. They would have their best teachers with the best reputation. They would listen to their teachings and they would share it with their communities all throughout Israel. They would share it. Well, eventually they compiled that together and created this compilation of document called the Mishnah. These these writings had units and sections in it. How do we make sure we're following the law? This is the earliest copy we have of the Mishnah. It's just, it's like, it's like a Bible study for the Old Testament in the Old Testament times kind of idea. It's like their commentary. And, and they, would, they wanted to know, how are we sure that we're not breaking the law on the Sabbath day? How do we know that we're doing what God wants us to do? Because we want to get it right. So they have this Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there's a whole unit devoted to the Sabbath day. Very important to them, of course. That's the death penalty if you break it. How do you keep it? And they came up with 39 ways to keep the Sabbath. I kid you not. 39 ways. There's 39 things. There's a checklist. 39 things. If you observe these 39 wise understandings, you will be able to follow the law. And then along with the 39 ways to make sure you observe the Sabbath, they had, they had these, like, have you ever taken a math test where you have word problems where it's like, 
John goes to the train station at 3 p.m. And then he does this. And you have to like figure out the word problem. What do you do? They had those kind of word problems in the Mishnah giving examples. What do you do in this case? How do we make sure we're following the law? I share this with you because this is important to know. They took this very seriously and they created a system to make sure everybody followed the rules. That is not unlike what we do today. We, are, we can relate to these people more than we want to admit, but they have this whole rule. Here's an example of some of their 39 ways you could break this up. A man could not draw a stick along the ground because that was plowing. At some point, some dude, I'm just going to call him dude, he had a stick, and he's walking, and he's creating this line in the dirt. I imagine it was a kid that mentioned this because adult doesn't care. A kid looked and said, oh, that looks like the lines that we plow in our field. And then some religious guy goes, huh? we're not allowed to plow on the Sabbath. That's working. You can't work. We need a new rule. You can't drag a stick along the ground. That looks just like plowing. It could be like plowing. You can't do it. I kid you not. That's what they decided. Another one. A man couldn't carry anything that weighed more than two dried figs. I don't know how much two dried figs weigh, but I bet that's not a lot, right? If we were to try to, and I just, I've been to some boring meetings before. Anybody else? Just boring meetings, and you're like, when is this going to be over? We're talking about nothing. I can't imagine this council that got together, and they're like, well, you can't carry a lot of weight on the Sabbath. And one dude's like, well, I don't think we should carry babies. And they're like, well, wives have to follow that too. And he's like, okay, never mind. Not, not the baby thing. And then another guy's like, well, I mean, I know we're not supposed to work, but is all this so important? And then he gets kicked out. It's like, yes, this is important. And then some way they get two dried figs and they say, you know what? I think this is it. And they pass it around and they're like, this is kind of almost heavy. You know, I can lift this without working. Two dried figs is nothing. And they decide you can't carry more than two dried figs. That happened in real life. That is what they, this council got together and decided two dried figs, that's too much. They even had debates on what was allowed on the Sabbath. Here's an example. What if, word problem, if a man arrived home just as the sun was setting on Friday? So uh, just so you know, in the, the Jewish culture, the way that they... Uh, uh, observed days. They went back to Genesis chapter 1, evening and morning. So a day started in the evening. So Friday night to us is truly the beginning of Saturday, which is the Sabbath. So if a man arrived home just as the sun was setting on Friday, this is going to be the Sabbath now, should he unload his donkey? If he does, he'll be working on the Sabbath, kill him. If he doesn't, the donkey will be working on the Sabbath, kill the donkey. That's, that's what they came up with. They think this is really important. Or should a person eat an egg laid on the Sabbath? Why was this significant? This is, you can read this. You can Google this. This is real. Because the hen had to work to lay that egg. And if you eat the egg, you're supporting the work. You're going against the law. They came up with all these laws. So well, that brings us back to Jesus' scenario. You have to know his context. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field this is significant to them, and I wish I had a good example for us, because we, we have traditions too. Anybody in this room have traditions? That, that I mean, it's not Bible law, but it's Bible law, right? In your tradition, this is super. You won't find it exactly in the Bible, but you'll find some supporting verses to make it that it's good that you have this rule. 
Because you're just observing the other rule that is written in the Bible. And to observe that rule, you have to also observe this rule. We have this. We have this. I'm not pointing fingers, but you're all guilty. We all have this. What's ironic, human beings do this, we do this. They made the Sabbath day a day of rest, hard work. You know, how backwards we are when we miss the point. We just work against ourselves. So according to their customs, the disciples were reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. Four of the 39 that you're not allowed to do because that's breaking the law, the Sabbath. Sabbath meals are always prepared ahead of time so that cooking would not be done on the Sabbath. Now, they, that is one of the 39 in the Mishnah. It's also a pattern that you saw in the Old Testament. Remember the manna story when we read in Exodus 16? And it's like, for six days, collect the manna, but not on the seventh day. You collect double on Friday. You cook it on Friday. It's prepared for Saturday. They created a law. You can't cook on the Sabbath day. Which means to the Pharisees, now you have to get in their mind and let's be, let's be understanding of them. To the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus and the disciples doing this, not only did Jesus disobey God's law in their minds, but Jesus and his disciples didn't properly plan for the Sabbath. They didn't even take it seriously. Here's the attitude as you read this text. Here's what you're supposed to walk away with. If Jesus was really a good man, he'd be responsible and he would have already cooked on Friday and they wouldn't have to be doing this on the Sabbath. If Jesus were really a good teacher and he really loved God and he was really a good guy like us, he would already have it done. You can hear the indignation. You can hear the judgment. You can hear the criticism in this religious, this religious system with strict traditions you can hear it all playing together like a, like a cycle working itself up. If Jesus were really good, he wouldn't even need to be in this position. So to them, their case is airtight. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. By the way, that's the only thing he said about it. He didn't have all their rules, but God said, don't work on the Sabbath. And by close examination to them, Jesus and his disciples were caught wheat-handed. They were caught. They broke the law. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus wants to respond to their misunderstanding of God's word, God's heart, the law. Jesus wanted to open their eyes to the truth. Jesus answered them, verse 3, Haven't you read? Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a preacher. I love the Bible. If I said something about the Bible, and somebody responded to me, haven't you read the Bible? I would feel offended, right? Would you? I'd feel offended. Jesus began this way multiple times in the New Testament. You see it in different places where he says, haven't you read? Now, this is significant and important. Jesus still points to and honors God's word. Everything God does with the, everything Jesus does with the law is not to say that the law is not still the law and important and significant, right? He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's not disregarding God's law, which is the way they're taking it. And he tells them, haven't you read? So he's still pointing it back there, and he's also offending them. Haven't you read? 
Uh, and then he uses David's story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. He then gave some to those who were with him. So David and his men were escaping Saul, right? Saul was out to kill David. David finally, you know, he's escaping spears. Eventually, him and Jonathan, it's very emotional. It's very dramatic. They love each other. Saul's just gone wacko. Saul's not taking it. So David leaves, and some of his men leave with him. He, he ends up being um, uh, a soldier for hire. He ends up becoming a mercenary, ends up becoming one of the most famous mercenaries in world history, one of the best warriors. He was a strategist. Uh, he understands war. He fought him. He was always at the tip of the spear, always in the front of the lines. David was amazing. God gifted him for this. Anyway, David had to escape Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. And so he ends up in this place called Nob. He ends up in the, the house of, the, of God. And there was this high priest named Ahimelech who knew David, knew about, everyone knew about David. So David gets there and he's like, uh, we're starving. And he doesn't tell him he's on the run, you know, on the lamb, they say. He's not a, he doesn't tell him he's a fugitive. He's like, me and my guys, we have a special secret mission, which technically they did. And he's like, we got to go. Do you have any bread? Well, it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is significant. And Ahimelech is like, the only bread present, no pun, is the bread of presence. Uh, they, what, the, what the priests would do is they would make 12 loaves of bread that all signify the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would put frankincense on it and other things. It was really great smelling. It looked really cool. It looked really pretty. They did it in the tabernacle. They ended up doing it in the temple. This was a big deal. But the, the Levites, the priests, were, were meant to break, bake these loaves of bread. And they were to eat them as a gift to God, saying, God, you are the one who provides for us our bread. You're the one that sustains us. You chose the 12 tribes, and you have sustained us. And you, just like bread, is sustaining you have sustained us, and this is like an offering back to you. So they eat the bread. What's really interesting, by the way, and I'm not trying to preach 1 Samuel 21, why didn't they eat the bread? Because there's new hot bread that he puts out, which means they didn't eat the bread. Anyway, that's a whole different thing. So David's like uh, bread, and, the, and Ahimelech's like, well, uh, we have this bread. And he's like, I'll take some. I'll take it, whatever you got. And so he gives them the bread. He eats it. According to the law in Leviticus, it's only for the high priest, or it's only for the priest to eat that bread. No one else is allowed to eat that bread. But the, but the Old Testament leaves David innocent in this. David was considered innocent by the priests. He was considered innocent in the Old Testament as you read it. David was never condemned for breaking the law. What is Jesus doing? Why this example? That's what you should ask yourself. Why did he bring up David with the bread? That's, that's not a huge significant part of David's story, if you know David's story. David's got a long story, but why that example? Well, haven't you read means you know the story. If, I read in Matthew chapter 12 earlier, uh, which is probably the parallel account to this, probably the same example, maybe. But in this event, Jesus responds uh, using the three sections of the Old Testament. For the Jews, they had the law, the prophets, and the writing. And if you look back to Matthew 12, uh, the first part of it, he uses the law, Leviticus, and, and uh, the priests breaking the Sabbath. He used the writings, and he used the prophets. He uses a Habakkuk, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He uses all three sections, and he begins with, haven't you read your Bible? Haven't you read the Old Testament? And he gives these religious leaders who definitely study the Bible, all three sections in their Bible, they have God saying, 
this is okay, this is what I really want, this is what I really mean. And David's story is one of those examples. Why doesn't Scripture condemn David for eating the bread on the Sabbath? Because God gave that law to help us, not to burden us. He rebukes the Pharisees and makes this point. He makes multiple points with it. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. When Jesus gives this example and you read this story, the Pharisees are making the Sabbath a burden for everyone. And Jesus is trying to explain to them, not with philosophy, not with good thinking, but with the word of God to say, God never intended for this to be a burden. I'll give you three examples. David's one of them. I will show you how God didn't mean for this to be a burden. That's why David was considered innocent when he ate the bread, which totally broke the law. That did break the law, but that didn't break the law. So Jesus is giving them an understanding. When God gave this, this is what he's meaning, and you should know it because I can show you in all the parts of the Old Testament where it makes this clear. The Pharisees took a gracious gift and turned it into a dreaded burden. The Pharisees the rabbinic teachers, they developed a kind of strict legalism that God's word, the scripture itself, does not support. That is paradigm shifting for the Jews at this moment. The Bible does not support a strict legalism, and you can read it in the scripture. It's not a culture. It's not a philosophy. It's not a perspective. The scripture itself supports that that's not God's intention. So Jesus is saying a lot with this. He makes the point even clearer in Mark chapter 2, just to go to another New Testament. I know we're going back and forth. There's just too many scriptures to try to demonstrate this. Mark 2 verse 27, then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This was meant to be a gift and not a burden, and you guys misinterpreted the Old Testament. You misinterpreted what God intended with this. Then Jesus takes it a step further. Verse 5, then Jesus told them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now this deserves its own point. For Jesus to say, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, is, is shocking. It's groundbreaking. He's saying, you know who the Lord of the Sabbath is throughout the entire Old Testament? Yahweh only. Only Father, Almighty God. That's it. There is no other Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath, the, the authoritative one over this. He's the one that gave it. He's the reason why we have it. So Jesus is saying so much. I can't go into all that. There's a lot of th theology packed in there. But the context of this story is Jesus is giving a contrast between him and the Pharisees. He says, I'm the Lord of the, the Sabbath not the Pharisees. What does he mean by that? By regulating people's lives and making it more about man-made rules, think the Mishnah, the Pharisees were making who Lord of the Sabbath? Who was the judge? Who was the one determining and dictating? The Pharisees made themselves the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying this to say, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and you are making yourselves Lord of the Sabbath, and you ain't Lord of the Sabbath. I wish I could preach just this point in James, in the letter of James. I, I, we went through James a few years ago. It was so fun. We went through the whole letter. It was so great. Remember that place where he's like, 
Don't judge one another. Uh, why do you make yourself judge over the law? You're not the judge of the law. Don't condemn one another. When, when James was making that point, the people had make themselves judge, jury, and executioner. They made themselves, okay, if God says this, then this is what we're going to do, and this is how I'm going to judge you, and you better live like I live, and you better do like I do. You better adhere to this law the same way that I adhere to this law. And James said, that's not how it works. You're making yourselves judge. And what does he say? I think it's chapter four. There's only one judge. There's only one judge. This is the same thing that Jesus is saying here. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, not you, and you're making yourself Lord of the Sabbath because you're putting your traditions on these people to follow my law, but it's not really to follow my law, it's to follow your law, and you're not Lord of this law. Yeah, so, so Jesus, I, I feel like this is a little more complicated than it should be. It was so impressive to me. I, as I sat through and meditated and studied through this passage, I was in awe of what Jesus was doing just by saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He was creating a contrast to explain why this is the way that you're meant to interpret it and you guys have interpreted it wrongly. The religious leaders had turned the Sabbath away from the Lord and Jesus came to turn it back. So he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. When we condemn others for not following our traditions and extra-biblical rules, we make ourselves out to be Lord and we're not Lord. That's an offense to God. That is actually breaking the law to make ourselves Lord over the law or judge over the law. So Jesus is doing a lot here. They're not catching it all, but we're meant to as we study the New Testament. As we pull it all together, we're meant to be seeing these things. And so Jesus came to turn it back to the Lord, and they didn't like it. So they kept watching him, verse 6. And the gospel writer Luke is tying these events together because he's trying to make this point. On another Sabbath, this is just continuing in the Bible, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. You know, the title of the sermon was Unlawful Arrest. They're trying to unlawfully accuse Jesus of breaking the law, which, this is so important. Did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? No. He did three things on the Sabbath that if you read the Gospels, there are three things that he did on the Sabbath that the Pharisees say, hey, you're breaking the law. He didn't use the cleansing rites, the cleansing rituals that men were supposed to clean. He picked heads of uh, grain on the Sabbath, and he healed on the Sabbath. Those are the only three ways that Jesus, quote, broke the Sabbath. Do you know that none of those three are found in the Old Testament? They're just man-made laws. Now, following the Sabbath is right. And guess what? Jesus observed the Sabbath. He observed, he observed the Sabbath rightly. But to them, they wanted to arrest him because he was going to heal. But he knew their thoughts, verse 8. And he told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life? or to destroy it. Now, when I first read this verse, I thought that this is what Jesus was doing. <sighs> come on, religious leaders, traditionalists, come on. Is it good for me to do something really good and save a life, or to do something really naughty and destroy people? What's better? 
I thought that Jesus was giving this hypothetical situation where he was saying, what's better, me to do a good thing or a really bad thing? That's like if my kids came up to me and, was, and I was like, hey, I told you not to eat snacks before dinner and you ate snacks. And they said, dad, what's better, to eat snacks, which is great, or to go out and murder someone? Well, that's a false that's a false argument. You can't use that argument, which is better. That's not what Jesus is doing. I thought that for a while. I thought Jesus was just trying to plead with him, like, hey, is this really that bad? This whole scenario is Jesus creating a contrast, again, between him and the Pharisees. You know what Jesus is doing? You want, you want to know why the Pharisees wanted to murder him after he did this? Why they wanted to kill him? It's because he was creating, a con- he was accusing them. He's saying, what is more lawful? Let's be honest. What is better? What is lawful? What is okay by God, permitted by Him? What does He really want? For me to do good or to do evil like you? For me to save, that word save also means heal. For me to heal a life or to destroy it? You guys are doing evil and destroying it. I'm doing good and saving it. Now tell me, what is right in God's eyes? And he stopped them. They had no more accusations. Jesus was demonstrating how he was using the Sabbath for good, and that's what his intention was from the very beginning. The Sabbath was given for healing and restoration and rest and relationship and connection with God. And Jesus was showing, I'm doing this rightly, but you are not. You're creating a burden for people. You're destroying lives. You're doing evil. Now think about it. Who's really breaking the law here? What is God's real law? What what is he really saying to us? It's so clear in the scripture. You can read it. Haven't you read? You know what God's intention is. Who's really breaking the law? So verse 9 is a contrast, not a false argument. And, um, And I'll just admit to you, I didn't understand that in the beginning until I studied this. It's so great that Jesus is continually combating against them. Who's really Lord of the Sabbath and what he's really doing? Then verse 10, after looking around at them all, he told him, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, and of course, they've been offended this whole time. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, what they might do is not a nice way. They're they're saying, how can we kill him? How can we stop him? We got to get rid of this guy. Part of the point, because I don't want to go too in-depth, we're going to see this for next week, Jesus used the Sabbath for good. Jesus used the Sabbath, he observed the Sabbath, he knew what God intended, and he did it for good, because that's what it was meant to be from the very beginning. He demonstrates this. But I want to skip a couple pages and go to what Luke says in 13, because it's really the heart. It, It really reflects the heart of what Jesus wanted for the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 13, verse 10, if you could turn there in your Bibles if you want to, Luke chapter 13, verse 10, as Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by spirit for over 18 years. I don't know if any of you have ever been handicapped or disabled, pain, disability, 18 years, 18 years of this is not going to get better, this is ruining my life. This is making every day painful. 
She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Verse 13, Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. I'll leave this with you. Verse 12 comes before 13. I want to read it, and I want it to sink in. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are currently, right now, free of your disability. Verse 13. Then, after that, Jesus laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now, I don't know who that guy was. I like him, actually. And here's why. Without Jesus, I would be that guy. If we were to take a step back and not be critical, what is this leader saying? He's being reasonable. He's compromising. He gets upset because someone's breaking his tradition. Has anyone ever broken your tradition? How did it make you feel? Did anyone try to promote their way of doing something that just graded against your own personal conviction of how things ought to be done? How did it make you feel? Let's have sympathy for this old man whose grandfather, great-grandfather, father, they all did it the same. And he looks at what happened, and instead of yelling at the woman, he talks to the crowd and says, listen, can't we find the middle of the road? I mean, there are six other days. All we're saying is don't do this on the Sabbath. Can't you guys come on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I mean, we are open six days a week. Do you have to come to Jesus on Saturday? Is it so important to you that you have to get healed now? Why can't you just come later? I feel for that guy. I can relate to him. I can relate to him because traditions are important to people, and why can't we just compromise with this? He's being understanding. But then Jesus shows how that's dumb. <laughs> But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites. I have been a hypocrite before. And I feel the weight of this, re- this, this rebuke. Hypocrites. Doesn't each one of you untie his do- ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? It's a rhetorical question. Every single one of you, when it comes down to a basic need, something important to you, every single one of you will break your own law in a way that you may not be conscious of. You will go against your own tradition for survival, for what's good, what's right. Don't you work on this day, but you got to feed the cattle. I mean, you got to milk the cows. There's certain things you got to do. Those are okay because everyone understands you got to do. And Jesus is saying, what you got to do? If you really knew the heart of God, you would know what falls under the category of what we must do. And you know what we must do? We must love one another. We must care about one another. Help them. Serve them. If it goes against your tradition, throw your tradition away. 
If it does not love your neighbor, it's not worth it. All the laws, all the laws, the prophets and the writing, hang on these two commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is what fulfills the law. And Jesus says, you're all hypocrites because every single one of you breaks your own rules. Every single one of you. You may not know it. You may not want to. You for sure don't want to admit it. But you all do it. And if you would understand God's heart, that when he looks at this woman, he's not thinking, oh no, are they working? He's looking at this woman, and this is what he says. Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be? Don't you know God at all? You know the law so well, and you missed God. You know the rules so well that you even put rules on top of those rules to make sure you follow the rules, but you missed God. Do you not know the heart of God at all? Shouldn't this woman be set free? How do you not know God and not know that this woman should absolutely be set free on the Sabbath? Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were, adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things he was doing. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. Jesus obeyed the Sabbath. He was Lord of the Sabbath. He continued observing the Sabbath. And that leaves us in a tight spot. What about us? What are we supposed to do with the Sabbath? Uh, what did the apostles say we ought to do with this rest day, this, this law that God gave? That, you know, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that doesn't seem moral at all. Have you ever noticed that? It seems amoral, working on a day. It's one of the few that has the death penalty. It's so unique. Why is this unique law so significant to God? And, and He uses it through every section of the Bible, every part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is this so important to Him? I think we will finish our series next week, and we will figure out the answer to that, but we have to lay a foundation. How was it viewed? How did Jesus do it? Now, how did the disciples end up doing it? You can come back next week. Unless I'm dead, I'll be here, and I'll be preaching. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is more than just a law that's disconnected from you as a person who desires to set people free. I thank you so much that you looked on that woman in a way that the best of the best in their day didn't look at her and know this. They didn't know what you really wanted. They thought they did, but they didn't. And so I just humbly ask, please help us not to miss it. Help us not to be driven by an internal desire for righteousness that we miss what true righteousness is in your eyes, what you truly desire, how, how you explain the scriptures in a way that the people who had their own language, it was written in their own language, it was in their own culture, and they missed it. Help us not to miss it. Open the eyes and ears of our heart to your word, which is true and good. And thank you for looking at us in a way we we wouldn't naturally look at ourselves with compassion and a mercy and a desire to save and to do good. 
Thank you that you desire to do good. Would you help us to be your hands and feet to continue this tradition on in loving our neighbor and to following you in all of your steps? Help us to practice your way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.